We're directed by it, strengthened by it. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated here tonight. Jesus has called us to a life of holiness from the inside out. And if we allow him, he will help us to live honestly, with integrity, and in humility. Is there anybody here tonight that really wants to pursue holiness? Too many times I think we have the wrong perception, and many times people uh, view holiness as a negative and not as a positive. I want to tell you just right in the beginning here, my, my righteousness is as filthy rags. I don't want to stand here clothed in my own righteousness, but I want his righteousness applied to my life. I want the holiness of God to be applied to my life, which is not something of my own doing, but I'm pursuing it, and I know that God will respond to my pursuit. I want his spirit and his anointing to me in my life. I don't want the dictates of the world. I don't want to be stained by sin. I don't want to stand before you with a robe like Joshua in the Old Testament. It was a dirty garment, and the angel stood there, and the devil stood there, and Satan was there to be the accuser of the brethren. But the word came and said, take off the filthy garment that he's in because I'm going to give him a new garment and it's going to be a garment of righteousness. We came out of the world to take off the old garment to put on something that is new. So I'm not approaching holiness as if it is something to be distasteful. I'm approaching holiness because I need it. I need it in my life. I want to be directed by it. I want to pursue it. Is there anybody in this place here tonight that you came with an attitude that said, I know there's a lot of things to pursue, but God, I want to stand before you with clean hands and a holy heart and not filthy rags. Praise God. The brand new church had just seen Jesus. Baptismal water was splashing everywhere. 5,000 were added to the church. And a man by the name of Barnabas was so moved by the generosity of the new church, he sold some land and he gave it to the church. Ananias and Sapphira liked that, and they did the same, but they kept some under the proverbial mattress. The issue was not the money, and they didn't have to sell their stuff. They were not honest. And the underlying text that we should take note of is that Peter said, You have not lied unto men, but you have lied unto God. You have been dishonest in your dealings. Ananias fell to a heap and died. It's interesting, and we could ask, what was the motivation? Why did God act so strongly? Why was there such a seriousness associated to this? I think one of the things that could be said is this. God is more interested in having a holy church than a huge church. Now, I want to say something right here. You can get so holy, 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 holy that there is nobody that can live up to your standards of holiness and you just become a few. I don't think God is in that, but neither is he in just everybody to come and there is no standard and there is no boundary and there is no God guidelines. God, help us to be balanced in everything that we do. Praise God. We're not, we're not putting everybody under a microscope, but we are are preaching and we are teaching that you can be better. You don't have to live with the same dictates of your old lifestyle. God's calling you to a higher level. Raise the bar in your life. 
Amen. And somebody said amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yes, 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 yes. This is what we need. I believe this was emphatic because God was interested in that moment and in that time. He doesn't strike everybody dead because of their misdeeds. But at this instance, at this moment, in this time, God was interested in making sure that there was a demarcation in the very beginning. If I'm going to have a church, I want to have a sanctified church. I want to have a justified church. And I want to have a separated church. I'm not unhappy about the fact that God has separated us from the world at all. I want to be sanctified. I'm happy happy to be a part of a church that believes in apostolic distinctives. I'm thankful for some boundaries. I'm looking for somebody to respond right now because what we need is for more people to understand the safety, the security, the power that is found when from the pulpit there is a preaching that we should be distinct and separated from the world. Revival comes when everybody knows what they're to do and what they're identified by hallelujah hallelujah thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord help us in this endeavor Lord help us that our hearts are right amazing amazing Ananias comes in I don't know what his motivation was I believe he probably saw Barnabas and what he was doing and if you read that early church people were they were selling stuff they were distributing stuff they were in unity they were doing all kinds of amazing stuff Barnabas was so impacted by a movement of the church that he did what he did. And Ananias and Sapphira saw that, and it motivated them in some way to want to give, and yet they were not completely honest in what, with what they were doing. And as the young men arose and wound up Ananias and carried him out and buried him, in the space of three hours, his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered, Unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said unto her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? I can imagine everybody in that building was hoping she would get the right answer because they had just seen what happened to Ananias. Now, here she is in the midst. Everybody was rooting for her to say the right thing. <laughs> say the right thing. Three hours before you came in, Ananias gave the wrong answer. Say the right thing. But she doesn't. She is in cohort. They have joined together in their deception. She falls down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghosts. And the young men came in, found her dead, and carried her forth and buried her by her husband. Everybody, the scripture said, great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. This story is not written to make us afraid when we make a misstep. This was an isolated incident, but it was very connected to the early church and the values connected to it. Holiness demands we worship in the sanctuary and we not lie to the world outside of the sanctuary. God, narrow the gap between what I am in here and what I am out there. That should be our pursuit. I want to be honest in the sanctuary before God, and I want to be honest everywhere I am outside of the sanctuary. That matters. I believe God is interested in that. I absolutely believe that he wants us to be godly, holy, and honest. Honest before him in the sanctuary 
sanctuary and honest outside of the sanctuary. Let there be in this city testimonies of individuals that say, yeah, I know where you go to church and I know what kind of individual you are. There's some honesty there. There's some integrity there. There's some humility there. You know what that exemplifies? Holiness and clean hearts. Honesty. Honesty calls for truthfulness in all areas of our life. That means in our conversations and our conduct. And that means that we reject deceit and we live in a way where we stand before God with clean hands and a clean heart. Psalm chapter 24 and verse number 3 asks some questions and provides some answers to us. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands. Everyone say clean hands. It's a good idea to wash your hands. It has nothing to do with this passage of scripture, but <laughs> okay. It is a good idea to wash your hands regularly. It's something that we all should do, and through all of our experiences this past year, we need to continue to do the same things in order to make sure that we are safe. But this is not talking about the cleanliness physically. It's talking about spiritually. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Everyone say pure heart. Clean hands, pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. God expects our hearts, which is inward holiness, and our hands, which is outward actions, to be holy before him. This should be a fundamental attribute in a person that is pursuing holiness. We should live out every single day with honesty and integrity. I was noticing when Brother Andrew Bentley was here, he, he had a favorite saying, and it was one of his kind of punchlines. He would say, it matters. It matters that you are honest. It matters that you have integrity. It matters. And so God has called us to a life in this notion of having a pure heart to be honest. Dishonesty can have some major, major implications. And as the people of God, as the saints of God, we should endeavor to be people who are not dishonest, but people who are honest, to be forthright. And the psalmist said, who's going to ascend into the hill of the Lord? It's going to be somebody that has clean hands and has a pure heart. There are examples of dishonesty. I looked up just a few. I, I tried to find today for an example as an, an illustration. What are the most dishonest things that have happened in history? I found several sources, and one particular one had 10 of the some of the most dishonest things that have happened in history. And they had major, major implications. God calls us to a life of honesty because dishonesty has major, major implications. And we need to avoid that. So I looked it up and I found three. And here's just three that I picked out and I selected. Listen to this quote. In today's regulatory environment, it's virtually impossible to violate rules. In today's regulatory environment, it's virtually impossible to violate rules. That's what Bernie Madoff said in 2007 
addressing a conference on illegal practices in Wall Street. Even as he was speaking, he was operating the largest Ponzi scheme in history. When it came crashing down the following year, the investment advisor had built 4,800 clients out of $18 billion. And the result of that, after confessing that his firm's asset management was one big lie, it was a big lie, he was arrested, tried, and sentenced to 150 years in prison. To date, 11 billion of the lost 18 billion was recovered and restored to Madoff's victims. But there were many, many that never survived what was one big lie, dishonesty. It had major, major implications. The second one is this quote. There is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. In the aftermath of 9-11, the United States struck back at the terrorist masterminds in Afghanistan, but many people in the Bush administration were convinced that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction and that they were conspiring with al-Qaeda and stockpiling weapons. The person that gave that quote was Dick Cheney. And despite there being no credible evidence that this was true, most intelligence and on-the-ground inspections revealed that there was no WMDs. The Bush administration chose to pin its reasons for going to war on information from an Iraqi informant nicknamed Curveball. It was revealed that all of those claims were discredited and obvious fakes. And yet, the result of that, thousands of Americans and hundreds of thousands, if not more, of Iraqis died in a war that lasted eight years and cost $2.4 General Colin Powell, who led the U.S. defeat of Iraq in 1991 Gulf War, would later bitterly denounce his own speech in 2003 as the U.N. ambassador defending the Bush invasion. America and the world are still living with the war's consequences. They were following information that was not founded, and they spoke that, and they launched action that we're still feeling the results in our international policy. The third one is an interesting quote, a very interesting quote. Cigarette smoking is no more addictive than coffee, tea, or Twinkies. For years, the tobacco industry assured customers that cigarettes were neither unhealthy nor addictive. The makers of old gold cigarettes claim not a cough in a carload. And in 1994, James Johnson, CEO of R.J. Reynolds, told a congressional committee, cigarette smoking is no more addictive than coffee, tea, or Twinkies. The reality, of course, is quite different. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that 480,000 Americans die every year from cigarettes. The result is, in 1998, the four largest tobacco companies reached a settlement with 46 states to pay $206 billion over 25 years to help cover the medical cost of smoking-related illnesses. Honesty matters, and dishonesty has great great and major implications. Help us to be honest as Christians. Help us to be honest as people who are pursuing godliness. Joseph was 17. He had a bright future when his brothers kidnapped him, 
sold him into slavery, deceived their dad into thinking that he had been killed by an animal. They deceived the deceiver because Jacob himself swindled his brother out of his birthright and his deathbed blessing. They misled Jacob without actually lying outright. They brought a coat. It was drenched with blood. And they said to their father, do you recognize this coat dripping with blood? They didn't come right out and say what had happened, but they left him to make the conjecture of what had happened. They deceived him. He thought Joseph had died by some uh, occurrence with an animal. Praise God. We need to be honest. Praise God. As Brother Andrew Bentley would say, it matters. Everybody say, it matters. We've got a taxonomy of how we can lie. Somebody put together a list of, of taxonomy, which is a definition of how some people speak untruths. There's some that are straight up lying. You actually speak an untruth. It's not true. It's not, it's not reality, but you speak a lie. You lie by, we lie by vagueness or ambiguity. You say something that is not technically untrue, but either suggests an untruth or could have multiple meanings. It's vague. It's wrapped up in ambiguity. For example, this individual will be infamous for his lying by vagueness. Bill Clinton said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman conveying a different meaning depending on what your definition of sexual relations was and is. It was a lie by vagueness or ambiguity. We can lie by omission. We tell a story or give a description, and we omit details. Classic example is the car salesman, the poor car salesman, that tells a lie by omission about the car that has faulty brakes or prone to stalling. This is lying by omission. Dishonesty by actions. Even if you don't open your mouth, you can still be a skilled deceiver with your dress, gestures, and facial expressions. How could that be? Well, there are imposters and there are thieves and there are pickpockets that would fall in this category. Then there's the lie of withholding information, failing to reveal something important. In a romantic world, that might range from an uncomfortable emotion to a sexually transmitted disease. You don't bring up the subject. You omit something. You just don't bring it up at all. It is a lie by withholding. And then there is a lie by tacit dishonesty. You say nothing and let the other person assume an untruth. The difference between withholding and tacit dishonesty is context. When you withhold information, the other person might not even think about it. But tacit dishonesty is you allow a person to actually assume the opposite and believe a lie. There's all kinds of untruths here. There's all kinds of things that can transpire and take place. But I believe that God is looking for an honest people in a dishonest world. If there's anything that we have learned of late, it's you don't know what to believe because you don't know if somebody's telling you the truth or the untruth. That should not be the case in the house of God. It doesn't come from the word of God. It doesn't matter if the media has lost all 
all of its journalistic standards. The standard of the church should still be true, still should be right. Hallelujah. Still should speak truth, still should be honest. Amen. A commitment to honesty requires that we value the truth more than the benefits that can come from deceiving others. Be honest with ourselves. And ultimately, God knows. God knows. Directly connected to honesty is an integrity. The first rule of integrity is when we sin, it is against God. It is a matter of doing what is right, no matter who sees or doesn't, because we are in covenant with God. That's what integrity is. How does an honesty differ from integrity? They're connected and they're conjoined. Honesty is, is speaking truth, but integrity is doing it when nobody else is around because you've got to walk in a relationship with God. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 6, We've mentioned Joseph and his brother's dishonesty. And in Joseph's life, he could carry on the dishonesty or he could carry on a different path. Genesis chapter 39, verse number 6. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. This is speaking of Potiphar. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. means he was a good-looking guy. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. She offered to him opportunity for sexual relationships behind her husband's back. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It came to pass as she spoke to Joseph by day, by day, day by day, every single day, this was a temptation, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Integrity is closely connected to honesty. A great illustration about integrity or things that hold up. In 2007, the United States was shaken by the I-35 West Bridge collapse in Minnesota. The bridge collapsed and fell into the Mississippi River, resulting in 13 lives lost and 135 people injured. The bridge was defective, and it finally Buckled, And when it did, people lost their lives and there were great injuries. Integrity, integrity is a life and death matter. It was to Ananias and Sapphira. They were not people of integrity. At that moment in time in the early church, it cost them their lives. Integrity was a matter of life and death with Joseph. He could have worked the system here. As we read this story with Potiphar's wife, he could, have, he could have traversed down the path in which she was giving him opportunity. But there was something about Joseph that said, I'm going to be a man of honesty, 
and I'm going to be a man of integrity. Nobody else would know, but God would know. And that's what he said. It's not a sin of me and you and everybody else, but it is a sin against God. I'm not going that direction because I value my walk with God, and I'm going to be an individual with integrity. He stood toe-to-toe with temptation despite the pressure, despite prosperity, despite popularity or acceptance. Joseph said, I'm going to be a man of integrity. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm going to stand up and be honest. I'm going to stand up and be in, in, I'm going to be a man of integrity, even if it costs me. There's some things that are worth not being popular over. There's some things that are worth not being accepted by everybody else. If it means I have to to be dishonest and be deceptive and be manipulative. I don't want to be a part of that crowd, but God, can you help me? Can you give me the gift of integrity? Joseph had a gift that said, it doesn't matter who's around. It doesn't matter if nobody is around. It doesn't matter what comes my way. I've been elevated, but if I'm going to lose that elevation in one moment and be banished to a prison somewhere, I would rather take prison and maintain my integrity than to be at the very top and be somebody that is dishonest and manipulative. I want to maintain the gift that God has given, has given. And he even had to adjust his strategy. Notice that it was day after day that she proposed to him, day after day that there was a temptation. It says that Joseph hearkened not unto her. He hearkened not unto her. He avoided her. He changed a strategy. He he removed himself from the situation. There are some things that if it's going to cost you your integrity, you need to get away from it. You need to remove yourself. There needs to be some distance and some space from it in order to maintain your integrity. Anybody getting what I'm laying down here? Can you pick it up? If there are things that are every single day is a temptation for you, you ought to remove that out of the way so it would not become a daily temptation. Whether it's online, whether it's social media, whether it's a lot of things that comes your way, whether it's relationships, whether it's the crowd you're hanging with. Hallelujah. Why don't you hang with us? Because we want to be holy and righteous and we want to see you be holy and righteous rather than see you get drug away because of the temptation of the world. Come on, saints of God. Let's live for God in a world that's lost its balance and is confused. Let's walk along the pathway of God's goodness and his righteousness. Amen. He changed his strategy. He got away. He avoided. Temptation seeks the weak link and focuses all of its weapons at it. Online pop-ups test answers that are too easy. Amen. Too much change that the cashier gives you that you just retain and keep. One of the funniest stories <laughs> in a long time that I have heard with someone in our church relating to honesty and integrity was Brother Tyler. Tyler Updike. Tyler Updike. He, he went viral because he found a wallet in the middle of a street And he picked up the wallet and he saw the address and who it belonged to. And so he took it up to the door and they had a camera 
And what went viral was him pointing the wallet and the money, trying to show the person on the inside that he had found a lot of money. Who's going to know? <laughs> Who's going to know? He's walking along, picks it up. It's got a lot of money. I don't remember how much money. I don't know how much money's not here to tell us, but there were a lot of $100. Are you here, Tyler? How much was it? $1,500. How old were you at that time? 18 years of age. 18 years of age, you pick up a wallet that's got $1,500. What are you going to do with it? You're going to be honest? You're going to have some integrity? What are you going to do with it? So he took it over and he he put it up where the, where it could be seen by the owner. And because of that act of honesty and integrity, it went viral. It was a feel-good story. That's why it went viral. You know, you know why it went viral? Because people are looking for examples, hoping, hoping, hoping that there are still some honest people in the world that would actually, when they have $1,500, would actually give it back or seek the person that that that. The property, whose property it, it, it is. I believe the world is still looking for honest people. We need to be honest people and people of integrity. God, help us. Help us because the world is hungry to see something that is different. God, we need to give him a hand. That was fantastic. That's off. We need those examples. There's another part of the story that's pretty funny, too. It went so viral that, um, what's her name? Ellen DeGeneres called. How many interviews did you go through? Four or five interviews. Four or five interviews until, did you actually speak with her? So her and her director finally called Tyler to see, you know, some of these things you have to do a little research to find out it's the real deal or not. And so he went through four or five interviews until he has the opportunity to talk to Ellen DeGeneres and her producer about this incident, and things were going so smooth, they were going to bring him down, put him on the show and all this kind of stuff. And, and, but they asked him, what was your motivation, Tyler? Why were you doing something like that? And uh, he said, well, I'm, I guess I'm like Donald Trump. I'm trying to make America great again. <laughs> Silence. Well, thank you, Mr. Tyler, for giving us your time. It was good talking with you. Goodbye. <laughs> I believe people are looking for honesty. Praise God. Joseph adapted his strategy, and he went down. He went down. He was elevated, and then he went down. But the Bible says in prison that the Lord was with Joseph. If you stand up for what is right and you have integrity and it causes you to lose your job, You'd be better off without the job, but God walking with you than have the job and still be dishonest. Amen. Honesty, honesty is connected to integrity. And ultimately, what integrity is, is it doesn't matter who's around or knows. 
It's a matter of my relationship between me and God. And I want to be right. And in order to have that kind of integrity, you have to be a person of humility. Someone say humility. Amen. We're talking about things that make our hearts right. Talking about holy hearts. Holiness starts on the inside. You, you can't get the holiness from the outside in. It's an impossibility. If you're doing actions trying to achieve holiness, it's not going to work that way. James recognized that holiness comes from within, and when it's from within, it's going to produce some fruit. And he said, faith without works is dead. And show me your faith without works. There's a, there's a connection there, but James recognized you don't, good work, you don't do good works to try to achieve some kind of inward faith. When you have inward faith, it produces something outwardly. Because you could be a person trying to pursue holiness from the outside in, and you could be somebody that's measuring up to every standard there is in the entire world, and your heart not be right. It starts from the inside, and it works its way outside. And tonight, we're talking about hearts and hands. We're talking about hearts. Our hearts have to be right. Praise God. My spirit has to be right. My attitude has to be right. And God's righteousness in my life is important. And so honesty is important and integrity is important. And, and that takes a really good dose of humility. Humility is not low self-esteem. It means that we see ourselves for who we are and we understand our need for Jesus and we reject pride. That's what humility is. I recognize who I am. I recognize that without God, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. I recognize that. I, I need his ability and his strength. And it is a rejection of pride. I'm, I'm not going to allow that to control my life. A person that is proud before pride. Pride brings a haughty fall in spirit. I don't want to go that direction. Amen. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 4 the writer is writing to the church at Philippi, Paul, and he says it this way. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But look here, watch this. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found fashioned as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Jesus had every right to come as a conquering king. And yet he purposed on coming through the home of a carpenter. He didn't come through Rome, but he came through humble beginnings. He didn't even recruit the best. He recruited some individuals that he could mold and fashion, but you wouldn't describe them and the disciples as being the best of the best. He healed and he washed the feet of common people. And this scripture said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. You know what he was saying? 
be and have the heart of a servant. How do I have a heart of a servant? I have it through humility. I recognize I should not be here. I recognize I have no business being here, but thanks be to God that gives me the victory that found me when I was on the roadside somewhere. Hallelujah. When my feet were in miry clay, God pulled me out and brought me into the house of God. I'm not coming in here with pride and arrogance, but I'm coming in here with my hands raised saying thanks be to God in humility and in humbleness because I recognize the value of what God has richly done in my life. Is there anybody thankful in this place tonight? Do you have a spirit of humility and humbleness? Do you recognize where God richly brought you from? It wasn't because of money. It wasn't because of occupation. It wasn't because it wasn't because of who was in your family and who wasn't in your family. It was because of the mercy of God and the grace of God that you are here tonight. Hallelujah. Why don't we lift our hands and thank the Lord for a moment because of his excellent greatness and his mercy to us. Hallelujah. We thank you and we worship you and we honor you. Praise God. Humility. Listen very closely to this. This line right here, it's so very, very good. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It is thinking of ourselves less. Man, if we're not careful, we can get into an attitude of thinking that everything is about us. Humility is thinking about ourselves less. Not thinking less of ourselves. This is why the scripture said you are more than a conqueror. God, God has no intention of you thinking less about yourself. He's about building you up into your most holy faith. Right? He's building you up. You're more than a conqueror. You can make it. You can do it. This is what the scripture is all about. But it's also about thinking less of ourselves. If that mentality gets into your world, then what happens is everything is focused on you. It's all about you. And you lose sight of the fact that the kingdom of God is about serving. The kingdom of God is about purpose. The kingdom of God is about destiny. Not about me. Because I am insignificant in the bigger picture. It's more about him. Praise God. Has God ever done a miracle for you, revealed his power and his ability? Then why would I walk around with Kevin Mark Bradford all the time and, and cause people to focus on me when I could be focusing people on him? I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to focus people on one that is able to save to the uttermost. I'll tell you what I want to focus on, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want to focus on one that can redeem from any situation and circumstance. Hallelujah. Amen. Humility is thinking of ourselves less. Praise God. Someone comes to the instruments here tonight. Just a, just a piano or an organ is what I meant. Amen. When we're honest and we have integrity and we couple that with humility, our hearts are in the right place. So.
so that that shapes our attitudes and thoughts. My, my, my. If, if, if you're honest before God, you're honest with yourself, you're honest with your fellow man, fellow woman, fellow, that sounds right, fellow brother, fellow sister. When you're honest with those around you, amen, when you have integrity, that means I recognize that sin ultimately is not between the people involved, but ultimately I, I'm, I'm sinning against God. And that strikes me more than anything else. And humility enters into that picture. It's going to, it's going to change your attitude and your thinking. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sakes hath forgiven you. Amen. Jesus said in one particular case, he said, it is from the heart that comes things that defile an individual. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. This, this was the Pharisees coming, trying to work righteousness from the outside in because they noticed that the disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. And that was a tradition that they had built into their Talmud and Mishnah that was definitive of proper tradition that they had elevated to sin or not sin. And Jesus said, it's, it's, not, it's not about washing your hands. That, that's not what the real importance is. The real importance is what's in your heart. What's coming out of your heart because that's what defiles. Those evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemy. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashing hands defileth not. What defiles a person is rooted in his or her heart. And the heart I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the anatomical organ that pumps blood throughout the body. In biblical times, the heart was the seat of emotions. From even the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might talking about the inner condition of our emotions. The wise man, as we stand together in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, the wise man said, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The issues of life is what the heart is. I've got to make sure my heart is right. If I'm going to be holy, I've got to make sure my heart is right. And that happens when I'm honest and I walk with integrity and I walk with humility because it's going to shape my attitudes and my mentality. These verses, Deuteronomy and Proverbs, reveal that the center of a person's identity and impulse is their heart. It is the core of who we are. And the condition of my heart is going to influence my attitudes and my thoughts. What I think and what flows out of my impulse and my identity is what I am going to become.
This is why coming to the house of God is so very, very important. This is why prayer time is important. Worship is important. The word of God is important. Fasting is important. Revival is important. Amen. Every part of the church that we invest in people, we're, we're trying to make sure the conditions of our heart are right. Amen. I want to pray tonight in conclusion that there is a flow of the spirit that takes place. Amen. That is cultivated in our life. Amen. Ezekiel in chapter 36 and verse 26 God said, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. He's not talking about taking the literal heart out, but he's talking about that identity and that impulse. I'm going to take that stony heart out. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Your heart's going to be right. My spirit is going to help you pursue holiness, making sure that the inward part of who you are is right. That's our pursuit in the house of God here tonight. Amen. And we should pray in conclusion tonight that God maintains an uprightness in our heart so that we can be separated for his purpose in a world that's full of dishonesty in a, full that, a world that has lost its integrity, in a world that is not filled with humility. But God, help us to be what you want us to be. Praise God. All over this building, as we lift our hand, can we pray that prayer together right now? Lord, I thank you and praise you. Praise God, I want my heart to be right. The issues of my heart, the issues of life flow from it. Let the impulse of who I am in the identity of my heart. Be right in your sight. I magnify you and thank you and praise you. Come on, just for a few moments. Praise God. Where you stand, right there. I want you to pray what I'm praying. I want you to pray the prayer of the psalmist that said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. If my heart has become stony and hard and indifferent, I pray, God, somehow that you would break into my world. Praise God that you would be the potter that forms and fashions and creates a heart that is sensitive to you. Hallelujah, in which you can communicate and you can mold and you can fashion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let it be a new heart in me. Amen. Let it be a new spirit in me. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, and worship you and praise you and magnify you. We thank you. We ask these things in your great, great name. My heart has to be right before my hands could ever be right. Praise God, but inform my heart so that I can make adjustments in every area of my life because that's what hands represent. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Help me to get this before there is ever a mention of standards and guidelines and boundaries. Because if I don't understand this, I'm not going to understand anything else. But if my heart is right, hallelujah. Do you remember when God was reaching for you when you were a new disciple and a new convert and all of a sudden God started dealing with your heart about things in your life? You made decisions. You got rid of some things. Your lifestyle, what you wore, where you went, the things you listened to, the things that you filled your mind. Your heart was right. And because your heart was right, God was working on you. Things started to happen. Nobody had to tell you anything, but God was dealing with you. 
Praise God, let it be so. Even if we're far removed from those early days, don't ever let me get the attitude that I don't need that same kind of spirit. I don't know how many years you've been living for God, but you still need a heart that is pure before God. You still need a heart that is sensitive to God. We're in a world that's a crazy world. The enemy is at work. Praise God, but I'm asking, I'm praying for, I'm pursuing a heart that can direct me. Amen. And when that heart is right, when it's right and righteousness is there, it helps me understand things that I would have no understanding otherwise. Amen. Holy, holy hearts is what we need. And we need it to inform our hands. Jesus, we thank you and praise you. And we ask these things in your great name. Amen. I thank you for every person that is here in this house and that may not be here for whatever reason, praise God. I pray that you would raise up a generation of righteousness in a world of unrighteousness. Raise up a church of honesty in a world of dishonesty. Praise God. Raise up a world of integrity instead of immorality. And raise up a church of humility instead of pride. We ask these things in your great name, your wonderful name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.